Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing okay this week. I just, just, <laughs> just before we started recording, I was just catching up on some of the happenings going on, and I just read the tragic news about the really serious car pile up that happened today in Texas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how I am. I'm like already, I'm I'm very cautious driver and very, you know how I get, I get anxiety about driving. So just reading about that almost yeah. made my anxiety go through the roof. So yeah, if any of our listeners were affected by that or have family that were, our hearts definitely go out to you. That looked so yeah. horrifying from what I saw, um, the pictures. And I watched a couple of videos and then I was like, what are you doing? Turn this off. So I did not uh, keep oh, yeah. watching. No, I don't blame you. Yeah, I kind of it was one I read about and was like, man, that's so terrible. I can't watch that kind of stuff either. I'm not a very fearful driver, but I don't need to be pushed in that direction. So I just stayed off of it. But yeah, and we don't know how to drive in ice or snow or anything right. like that. So just the idea is is terrifying. So yeah, I, I feel really bad for everyone that 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 affected, of course. 
And in good news, exciting news, um, the uh, spinoff podcast, the other podcast that I'm doing with Rebecca Sebastian, uh, Criminality, it comes out this week. By the Yay. time you're listening, there's already an episode, yeah, about Mike the Situation Sorrentino. Oh. How, how familiar are you with the shore, Mandy? Um, I, my knowledge is limited to what I have gathered from being friends with you for the last few years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> I just realized we did a, a, a gym one early on, an episode early on about kind of that culture. Gym Tan Murder. I remember that one. <laughs> yes, Gym Tan Murder. Yeah. That was, uh, and, wait, and, which episode? That was one of my favorites. I think that was the Sun Gym. Yeah. Sun Gym Gang. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mine too. Yeah. And so, oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know. Um, yeah. So anyway, if you wanted to learn more about it, it's up now called Criminality and I'm excited. Who knows? You know, it'll be, it'll be fun, right? Yes. I forgot how much anxiety goes into doing something new. If you wanted to check it out and learn more, or if you're like Mandy, learn more than I've already told you, <laughs> which you probably know everything at this point, being my friend, you've already heard it all, but yeah, it's, it's a fun story. And Hope people enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure I've heard it all. I'm I am going to listen anyways, though, because yeah, I mean it sounds great, and you know I think you're the funniest person ever. So yes, I hope everybody checks it out. And I I'm sorry, I totally I get it. Yeah. <laughs> One more time, a little bit louder that time. <laughs> you're so funny. You're so awesome, and I hope your new show um, gets lots and lots of listeners. <laughs> Thank you. If you're crossing your fingers, I can't see you and that's okay. I'm absolutely not. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm excited. But Mandy, I'm super excited about this episode. My one familiarity with this is Date with Datelines talked about this person. If you're a Date with Dateline fan, you're going to recognize it. And oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This story is super bananas. And it's one of the ones that, you know, we're going to cover and that we've covered several before where it's kind of like, there's a lot of things going on. And the story is just so outrageous that you're like, what in the world? Like, how did this actually happen in real life? And it wasn't just made for entertainment in a form of a movie or something, because it's just that crazy of a story. Right. So what do you get when you mix a love triangle, an obsession, and a completely imaginary person that was created to share details of an affair with unsuspecting family and friends? Well, you get this week's bonkers story. And I know that <laughs> I know that last part really was a lot to take in, and it sounded very confusing. And it is confusing, but we're going to explain it all, hopefully in an easy-to-understand way. Like I said, although it's already hard enough keeping things straight in a story with multiple names, now this week we're going to throw a completely fake person into the mix, and we're going to see how that goes. Hopefully it doesn't confuse us, and hopefully it doesn't confuse you guys listening. For most people... I would say that it's a normal thing to come home from work and just talk to your spouse about your day and even share details about your coworkers and the life around your place of employment. It's just part of regular conversation. Um, right. My husband's working from home now, but when he was at the office, I felt like, you know, I had, I felt like I knew his coworkers just from his stories. And yeah. so whenever I would have to go around them or meet them, it wasn't too weird because I felt like, hey, I kind of know. I mean, it sounds weird, but I'm like, hey, I already know a lot of details about your life and you've never met me before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know more than you want me to know. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like those kind of things are really normal. So these were normal types of conversations for married couple Sheila and Paul Christos. And that was until things started to get a little weird because Sheila actually became obsessed with an alleged love triangle that was taking place at her work, which I think everybody likes juicy workplace drama, but Sheila really really liked it. She was very invested in this story that was unfolding and came yeah. home every day and was telling her husband all about these things that were going on. So Sheila and Paul had actually not been married that long themselves. 
Sheila was really already getting bored in this relationship, despite that it really had only been going on for about two years at this point. She was only 31, but this was actually her second marriage, and her first marriage was one that she got into right out of high school. Sheila's family was from Iran, and they immigrated to Yorktown Heights, New York, due to the Iranian Revolution. So her childhood and the way that she grew up, there was a lot of turmoil, and there was a lot of scary things going on, and her family literally fled to the United States. Both of her parents worked in healthcare, and of course, you know, they raised her with their traditional Iranian family values and beliefs, and due to some of these traditions and expectations, she was married right out of high school to a man named Farid Musavi. Despite getting married at such a young age, Sheila really still wanted to pursue an education, and she was very smart and very talented. She went to the University of Stony Brook, and she obtained a bachelor's of science in biochemistry, and then she went on to grad school at New York Medical College and got a master of public health in epidemiology. While she was away at college, she met a fellow student named Paul Christos, and the two hit it off very quickly, and soon an affair began. Her husband Farid found out, and he divorced Sheila, but she wasn't really too concerned with that. She was kind of checked out of the marriage at that point anyway. Sheila was working at the time at Oxford Healthcare from May of 1995 to May of 1999. During her time there, she was a project manager in outcomes research. At this job, she worked on various studies, uh, such as the HIV AIDS study, an asthma study, and a peptic ulcer study. She actually ended up marrying Paul in 2000, and a year later, the couple moved to Pleasantville, New York. While in Pleasantville, Paul worked at Cornell University's New York campus. He had a part-time teaching job while he was also working on his doctorate degree, so he was a very, very busy guy. Sheila got a job as a research scientist at Purdue Pharma in Stamford, Connecticut. I always forget how close like Connecticut and New York right. are and stuff, yeah. so when I hear another state, I'm like, wowzers, right. <laughs> that's a far ways away. Yeah, so they seemed like a very intelligent couple and that they were really off to a really great start. But a little over a year into the marriage, the honeymoon was really over, and the couple was more like roommates than spouses. You know you're in trouble if you already feel that way a year into your new marriage. So I imagine that had to be stressful for Paul and for Sheila both to kind of be realizing like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that yeah, that's very, very early on to be like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Right. <laughs> this isn't working out so well. Yeah. So in the summer of 2001, Sheila is, you know, kind of lonely. Her husband's working a lot. He's in school, and she begins socializing with coworkers. And so she starts going out after work for happy hours. And it's there that she meets one of her coworkers named Nelson Sessler. Quickly after this, the two of them begin an affair. Nelson, though, is completely unaware that Sheila is married. In fact, he thinks that she's been divorced. Sheila's really always busy at this point with stuff like volleyball. And she was also caring for her brother, who she said was mentally ill. Sheila was actually going to great lengths to conceal her marriage. When she wanted to have her new boyfriend Nelson over for a night or for a weekend, what she would do, and I still can't quite get over this plan, <laughs> is that she would tell her husband, Paul, that her brother, who we said uh, had a mental illness, that he was coming to visit and he would be devastated if he knew that Sheila was married. I can get behind this, though, depending yeah. on the situation. You just don't know. Like, she could very well have a brother who would not take it well if, you know, he found out that his sister was married to somebody. Oh, yeah. This doesn't sound like out of the 
realm of possibility at all. And the two of them have just been married for a year. So it's not crazy that maybe Paul hasn't met all of her family. And if, you know, her brother has needed a lot of care and stuff, it just seems like it's a very sensitive subject. And so he's kind of taking a backseat and following her lead. If she says that he'd be upset, why would he believe otherwise? Right. She does actually have a brother and he does have schizophrenia, her parents later confirmed. Sheila decided whenever she wanted Nelson to come over and she said it was her brother that was coming over, she would actually have her husband. I cannot get over this. (laughs) Help remove traces of himself from their house. So this includes, you know, packing his clothes, his toiletries, his photos. And Paul would literally take all this stuff and go to a friend's house, go to a motel or go to his parents' house. Which again, if he's studying and doing all this stuff, it doesn't even sound crazy to me that he would be like, yeah, I can use a weekend away to study or do whatever. It, it just doesn't seem that crazy. But the idea of having to take all of your like <laughs> personal mementos with you, it's just a lot. So he believes Sheila's home with her brother. And so why, why would he believe something else? Truly, why would you believe something else? In reality, though, Nelson is coming over to visit Sheila. He, do, he doesn't know she's married. He thinks she's divorced. So when Nelson comes to the house, it looks like Sheila lives alone. I just can't imagine. Um, <laughs> I just cannot imagine having the nerve to do something like this, like to literally have my boyfriend come over to my house where I actually live with my husband and just, I just can't, and not even be worried that like someone's going to find out about this. Like she just really right. had no concerns about this. She was like, this is a great plan. This is what we're going with. I'm going to get my husband out of here and this is all going to be fine. We're going to spend a weekend at my house. I just, it's just the whole thing is mind blowing to me. Well, at that point, wouldn't you plan for a weekend? Because if you got to move stuff back and forth, we have to make longer periods of time. This is crazy. Yeah. So this is where things really get complicated as if they weren't already complicated enough by all of the shenanigans that she's going through to carry on this second relationship. Yeah. So things get even more complicated because Sheila was not the only woman that Nelson had his eye on. He was also dating another co-worker named Annalisa Raimundo, and she also worked at the same place that Sheila and Nelson worked. So this is where things start getting really, really awkward. So Annalisa met Nelson in late 2000, also at an after-work happy hour that, you know, they'd go to a bar and meet up, and that's also how he met her. Right. But things between Annalisa and Nelson were a lot more serious than they were between Sheila and Nelson. And, you know, they women really had a lot in common. So I imagine it was maybe a tough choice for Nelson because Annalisa was also very smart, just like Sheila. Both of her parents were doctors. Um, Her father was an MD and her mom was a pediatrician. And, you know, she had a great education as well. She had graduated from Harvard and had a master's degree from Columbia University. And she was also working at Purdue Pharma as a researcher. She was described as being intelligent, attractive, athletic and loving by her friends and family. So Nelson really felt a deep connection with Annalisa more so than he felt with Sheila. He really felt like his relationship with Sheila wasn't going anywhere and that it was just more casual. You know, they never they never had any conversations about having a more serious relationship. It wasn't like they were throwing around, you know, the L word or anything like that. He felt like this was definitely something that should be pretty easy to break off. And that's, you know, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to end this relationship with Sheila so that he could pursue a more serious relationship with Annalisa. So in the summer of 2002, he broke things off with Sheila. 
Sheila seemed like she took this really well. And, you know, she said, yeah, that's fine. I agree. This was just a summer fling. We had fun. You know, best of luck to you. But those really weren't her true feelings. So over the next several months, um, Nelson was spending a lot of time with his new girlfriend, Annalisa, and he, you know, he kept his own apartment, but he was going back and forth and staying over at Annalisa's a lot. And things were really becoming, you know, they were turning into a more serious relationship for those two. So instead of just letting this go and, you know, letting Nelson and Annalisa go on with their lives and have their happy relationship, Sheila became obsessed with the whole thing, and she just could not stop thinking about Nelson and the fact that he had chosen to date Annalisa over her and to end this relationship with her. Keeping in mind, Sheila is still married to Paul, and he has no idea that any of this is even going on. But she is very emotionally invested, apparently, in this whole relationship, Um, not just the relationship between herself and Nelson, but she is also emotionally invested in the relationship between Nelson and Annalisa. And how awkward is all of this? Because all three of them work together. That makes it so much harder and so much weirder. Like just the atmosphere has to be just you have to be able to cut the tension with a knife, you know, around the office. Yeah. Seeing Paul and Annalisa at work really started to get under Sheila's skin, and she just could not stop getting into their business, even going out of her way to kind of put her nose where it didn't belong. And it started to come to a point where this was bothering her so much that she just had to get it out and she had to talk to somebody about it. So who do you think she chooses to talk to? A best friend? A neighbor? A friend? (laughs) Phone a friend? No, she decides that she's going to talk to her husband, Paul, which sure, of course sure, is sure, sure, sure. yeah, not the person that you would expect uh, to be confiding your troubles in when you are the one having an affair. You would not think that you would turn to your spouse and say, hey, I'm really struggling because the person I'm cheating on you with doesn't want me anymore. Like, that's what do just- I do? <laughs> right. So Sheila doesn't quite do it that way. This is where the fake person comes into play in the story. Sheila pretends that she's telling Paul about some workplace drama that does not involve herself. And she changes Nelson's name in the story to Jack, and she changes her own name to Melissa. Don't even start. She's re- <laughs> Why is this the go-to she- for people? You did this in your spinning yarn thing. Melissa was the name. And when somebody makes up a fake affair with them as the center of it, it's Melissa again. I don't get it. <laughs> what did we ever do to you? I know. When I found out that the imaginary <laughs> woman's name was Melissa, I was like, this is really unfortunate. <laughs> I feel like Melissa would be the new Karen, but Karen's two syllables, Melissa, three syllables. It's more difficult. You can't even do that. What's that banana fana fafana with Melissa? Oh, yeah. It's it's upsetting. So I feel like they had to go with Karen. Sorry, Karens, but we've got this love triangle and every horrible example Mandy has is (laughs) Melissa. (laughs) I can't help it. This is what happens in the story. (laughs) So when Sheila is talking um, about all this and she's referring to herself, she refers to herself as Melissa. But of course, Paul thinks that Melissa is a real person that is not his wife, Sheila. So if that doesn't confuse you, then we should make it through the rest of this story. If you can just remember the worst person in the story's name is Melissa, that should be really easy. Um, (laughs) You'll be fine. All right. So every day. Sheila was telling Paul more and more details about this love triangle situation that was unfolding among these three co-workers of hers. She called them Jack, Annalisa, and as we said, Melissa. The whole time, she's really talking about herself, Annalisa, and Nelson. So according to Sheila's story, as you know, per what she told Paul, 
Melissa was her friend at work and Melissa was the one who was relaying all of this information and that Melissa was in this relationship with Jack and she was upset because Jack was also seeing Annalisa. So she would ask her own husband to explain, you know, why would Jack do this from a man's perspective? What is Jack thinking? You know, what do you think Melissa should do? And it just drives me crazy that she's asking him for advice, but like not asking him for advice. And it's so weird that like she, I just don't know. The whole thing is just weird. I just can't imagine doing any of this. I got to be honest, real Melissa would have never been her friend. So I feel like she really (laughs) screwed this up. (laughs) So she told her husband, Paul, that, you know, her friend Melissa is really, really depressed about this whole situation. Can't stop thinking about it. It's one of those, you know, eat, sleep, breathe, puppy love, can't get it out of my head situations. She's very upset. And she even shared intimate details about Melissa and Jack. Well, now she's gone too far. She's, this whole thing is too far. But yes, this part is definitely too far. Um, Because she told him that Melissa gets upset when Paul turns down her sexual advances. And so she, again, asks Paul for advice. And she says, I'm going to, you know, whatever you tell me, I'm going to relay this back to Melissa. And we're going to hopefully all try to help her figure this out. So Paul, of course, this is his wife. He is... You know, he's happy to talk to his wife and wants to be involved in what's going on in the rest of her life and in her job. So he put on a happy face and listened to all of this. Every time she would come home and start talking about this love triangle and about these people that he doesn't even know, um, you know, he's humoring her. And so he's like, OK, whatever. But after a while, it got kind of old, which I get it. There's yeah. only so much you can take listening to somebody talk about somebody else that you don't know and has nothing to do with you. You just don't want to hear it after right. a while. So Paul was kind of feeling that way. He was feeling a little bit annoyed and he felt that she was really way too obsessed with these other people's lives and that she just needed to take a chill pill and just, you know, back out of it and mind her own business. Essentially, he thought that she was he put it as he put it, he thought she was living vicariously through this situation. So as we said, at this point, Paul and Sheila were no longer romantic in any way, and they had been living like roommates already for quite some time. And we're going to get into more details of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. We all know how to eat, right? We know our forks from our knives and our knives from our spoons. Don't even get me started on salad forks. Those are a joke. But do we know how to really eat? I'm 37 and I feel like I'm finally learning how to eat with the help of Noom. Noom is based in psychology and helps teach me how to eat so I can accomplish my personal health goals like feeling better and fitting into my clothes more easily long-term. Noom knows that you don't need rules to meet your goals. You just need knowledge. Noom knows you love food, and that's great. Food is amazing. With Noom, food feels less like this scary monster waiting to destroy you, and they actually put you in charge. Noom helps to understand your cravings and helps you learn how to shop. More importantly, with Noom, no food is bad, which is not something the food pyramid bothered to teach us. Noom helps me think about food differently. I'm learning specifically how important it is to be intentional with my food. I'm also learning that if I'm craving something, it's not the end of the world if I get it. I can always take a few bites and then put it away for later. Before, when I tried to eat better without Noom, I would just think, well, I've already had three bites of this piece of cake. I might as well eat the whole thing. And there goes all my goals. Nothing is really sustainable if you feel like you're constantly depriving yourself. And Noom is sustainable. In fact, with Noom, over 80% of their users finished the program and over 60% have stuck with their goals for at least one year. That's because Noom makes it easy by asking you to just commit 10 minutes a day to you and your goals. There's a science to getting healthier. It's called Noom. 
Sign up for your trial today at Noom, that's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Learn how to eat again with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Ready to learn how to live healthier? Sign up for Noom today at N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. I remember years ago searching for a ring for my husband for our wedding. Our choices were plain, plain, boring, boring, plain, boring, and the one we ended up with was plain and boring. Nothing says forever like your spouse saying, ah, that one's fine, I guess. But finally, things have changed thanks to Manly Bands. Manly Bands is great for everyone and has awesome wedding bands made out of just about every type of earthly material imaginable and even some from space. I ordered one for my husband and the process could not have been easier. To get started, I ordered the Manly Ring Sizer from Manly Bands to ensure the ring fit him perfectly during work and play. Once I had his size, the fun started. There are so many materials to choose from, including gold, wood, steel, and meteorites. There are also curated collections like the Jack Daniels Whiskey Barrel Collection. Yes, they actually have rings made from whiskey barrels. My husband chose the Journeyman, and he is absolutely in love with the unique design as well as how comfortable it is to wear. And if that's not enough, Manly Bands can help you be even more creative and help customize bands from scratch by choosing the style, material, inlay, sleeve, and finish. Once you've picked the perfect band, Manly Bands offers shipping for free worldwide, plus a 30-day exchange policy and a free warranty. To order his Manly Band and get 20% off plus a free silicone ring, go to manlybands.com moms and enter promo code moms. That's manlybands.com moms, code moms for 20% off. Manly Bands, the best darn rings, period. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about Sheila talking to her husband and explaining this love triangle that's going on at work and trying to explain to him through using different names. She was Melissa in this situation. Nelson was named Paul. It's a whole thing, and it's very, very confusing. Thank goodness she left one of the no, names. No, Nelson was named oh Jack. Oh, my Her gosh. husband was named Paul. See, we have to keep our story straight here, Melissa. Okay. <laughs> Real Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would screw something up in this story. Okay, forget everything I just said. Only listen to what Mandy said. She's right. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the story, though. Things continue to get worse obviously, as Sheila becomes more and more invested in this obsession with Nelson slash Jack, right? That's right. Yes. So she tells other friends about this alleged workplace love triangle. And when her husband Paul gets tired of hearing about it, don't worry. She then tells Paul's parents, her (laughs) in-laws. I I don't even get like telling my in-laws about a real love triangle that I right. I'm not involved in, but like a sneaky one that I am involved in. I really don't understand that that idea. <laughs> so during these conversations, though, Sheila's basically asking for advice for Melissa. Trust me, Melissa does need a lot of advice, but not in this situation. She tells them that Melissa has access to Jack's voicemail. Scary. And she's regularly listening to his private messages every day to find out if he's still dating Annalisa, which is shocking because she really knows and she's around it. And so it's not like, of course, she knows if he's still in a relationship, but I guess she wanted to see how serious it was. And so she's saying, you know, to friends, family and countrymen, do they think that Melissa should confront Annalisa and tell her, you know, I'm also seeing Jack? So she wants to know if she should make this knowledge public, if Melissa, not Sheila, but if Melissa, fake Melissa should do this. 
And so friends say, yeah, Sheila, maybe don't tell Melissa to do that. That's like actually a terrible idea, <laughs> which it is. It's like, why would you? It is. Fake Melissa, real Sheila. It's a terrible idea. But Sheila is stuck on this idea of confronting Annalisa. And so as things continue to escalate, Sheila tells her husband, Paul, the strangest thing yet. She wants to go on a stakeout with Melissa, who doesn't exist, so they can go spy on Jack slash Nelson and find out how serious this relationship with Annalisa was. She's already listening to his voicemails. I feel like she could figure it out at this point. So she goes so far to get ready for this stakeout as using a lockpick set on her own front door so she could figure out how to pick a lock. Um, she also asked her husband to borrow his night vision binoculars. He thinks this is odd, but at this point, what isn't odd about this situation? So, <laughs> But he doesn't think she's going to actually stake out this woman's house. It is just like this level you can't understand. And so she even borrows this eavesdropping device from Paul. So her plan is to take this device she has, go into Jack's office and put it, or put it in there, and listen to his conversations. Think Dwight Schrute in the office giving Jim the Mallard to spy on him. <laughs> Always going to bring it back to a TV show. So one morning, Sheila calls her husband, Paul, and she says, hey, I'm outside Annalise's apartment with Melissa, and Melissa really wants to confront her. And so at this point, Paul is probably just like over this. And he says, quote, <laughs> she has a right to know her boyfriend is cheating on her. You know, he's got to be like, woman, let me just take a just shower. Just over with. Like, right. Give me a second. Yeah. <laughs> Will this make you stop? So Sheila's fire really just continues to burn for Nelson. This is months after he's broken up with her. And she is still like so obsessed with him. So everything she tells her husband, her friends, her family, her in-laws about what Melissa's doing is true, except it's actually her doing these things. So she's the one that goes and bugs Nelson's office and wants to spy on this conversation. And she's the one that stakes out Annalisa's home. Finally, on November 8th, 2002, Sheila took her obsession and desperation to a terrifying new level. In the mid to late morning, Sheila broke into Annalisa's apartment. She stabbed her multiple times in the face, neck, and in the chest nine times. One of the wounds actually reached the back of Annalisa's lung. Annalisa also suffered blunt force trauma to the head from several blows. But then things got worse because Sheila actually dialed 911 herself and once again pretended like she was not herself. She pretended to be somebody else. And she said, quote, I think a guy is attacking my neighbor. I don't know her name, but she's my neighbor and she lives in 105. I saw a guy going into her apartment. So then Sheila, you know, the operator is asking questions like, you know, where exactly are you? What's your location? Right. Who are you? Are you sure you don't have a name for this woman? Trying to just get more information. Yeah. But then, she, yeah. So Sheila just quickly says the address that she um, she said was 123 Harborview. And then she hangs up the phone. Um, so Harborview was actually a commercial area, and the dispatcher that was taking the call knew there really were no apartment complexes near there. It wasn't a residential area. So the dispatcher did a little more digging and found out that this 911 call was actually made from a payphone that was located right outside of a restaurant. So they called this restaurant and they said, hey, have you seen anybody using a payphone in the last, you know, however long? And they said nobody saw anybody out there by the payphone. So that was kind of a dead end. So then the dispatcher thought maybe the caller misspoke when she said Harborview and she may have meant Harbor Drive. 
And she knew that there was an apartment complex, you know, nearby this restaurant where this payphone was. So she sent police there to check it out and just hoping that this was going to be the right place. When the police arrived, they came to a horrific and violent assault scene. There was blood everywhere in the walkway from the front door and everything about the apartment was thrown and knocked around. Annalisa was found on the floor in the foyer. There were no signs of forced entry or robbery, and it looked like whoever had done this had used the bathroom in the apartment to clean themselves up, and there was actually traces of blood that were left in the sink. And they found a drop of blood on the sink handle, which they actually swabbed for later testing. So the police continued to look into this murder and try to find out more clues about what happened. They learned that Annalisa had spoke to her mom on the phone at around 1030 that morning, so they knew that you know, whoever had done this had broken into her house at some point after 1030. Somebody also used Annalisa's home phone to call Nelson's office at 1157 that morning, but he didn't answer and there was no voicemail left. Later that day, Nelson actually arrived at Annalisa's apartment and he, when he got there, was completely unaware that she had been killed. And when he was informed about her death, the police said that he acted really calmly and they felt that his reaction to hearing that his girlfriend had been murdered was a little suspicious. And so they told him, you know, that they wanted to talk to him more and that they were going to be looking into his alibi. Thankfully for Nelson, time stamps and records proved that he was at work the entire day. He never clocked out and left at any point. Um, and so his alibi did check out. So Nelson told the police about the fact that he had two relationships going on. One, of course, was with the victim, Annalisa. And he did not mention the name of the second person that he was dating, but he told the police that both of the women he was seeing had mental illnesses. So he did not tell the police, though, as I said, that he had an overlapping relationship with Annalisa and with Sheila. As I said, he didn't even mention Sheila's name. So the investigators turned their attention once again to this suspicious and strange 911 call. They tried to look for the alleged male suspect that Sheila anonymously described in the 911 call. And they also went door to door looking for this neighbor, you know, who made this call and reported the attack. But they didn't have any luck, of course. Everybody they went to was like, no, I didn't call 911. I didn't hear anything. I didn't right. see anything. Also, the police noticed that none of the neighbors even had a voice that matched the 911 caller. So they were sure that whoever made the call was not somebody who lived in this apartment complex. I'm not really sure how this happened or came about, but at some point the police learned that Sheila left her office at 1053 that morning and came back to the office at 153. I'm assuming because Annalisa also worked at the same place with Sheila and Nelson. They were probably just generally looking into her place of employment and maybe they just noticed that Sheila happened to have left at the same time that, you know, her coworker was believed to have been murdered. Right. So that may have been where that connection came from, but I'm not exactly sure how they figured that out. I think it makes the most sense that they were just, in general, they were just looking into Annalisa's you know, employment and where she had been that day. Right. So even though it was a little strange that Sheila was out of the office during those times, you know, it really wasn't enough to arrest somebody on or even suspect them. And also at this point, they don't have a clue that Sheila was also dating Nelson. So they don't really have any reason to think that Sheila would yeah. have had any connection to this or had anything to do with this. So the case just stayed open in hopes of future leads. But at this point, they really weren't getting anywhere. They didn't really have any other avenues to go down. The funeral for Annalisa was held on November 5th. About a week later, Sheila's husband, Paul, actually has a meeting with representatives from the same place that Annalisa worked. The reps mentioned that our colleague has recently been murdered. 
And so Paul wonders if this Melissa person he's heard so much about has something to do with the murder of Annalisa. So when Sheila gets home, he tells her what he's heard and he asks her about it. Sheila doesn't act surprised or anything, but she says that Annalisa was, quote, fine. Later in 2002, Sheila ends up telling Paul that Jack, which is Nelson, and Annalisa finally broke up, and now Melissa, which is Sheila, and Jack, which is Nelson, are now together. So now Melissa and Nelson are together, is what Sheila tells uh, Sheila tells her husband. So a short time later, Sheila starts talking to Nelson again, and the two of them kind of rekindle their relationship. They begin sleeping together, and she really is consoling him and sending him gifts of condolences. A lot of people really shunned Nelson at this time, possibly thinking there was some involvement on his part, but Sheila was the person that was really there for him. In January of 2003, which was just a few months after the murder, Sheila actually invites Nelson on a group ski trip, which sounds like a lot of fun. But surprise, there was no group and it was just the two of them (laughs) on a romantic ski trip. My gosh. So once again, Sheila uses this excuse that her brother is coming to visit, and so Paul needs to leave the house for a few days, and really, we know that this is just so Nelson can come and spend the night with Sheila. Paul is, at this point, getting really irritated with this whole thing. Her brother is visiting a lot, and Paul is really sick of being displaced from his home, which makes sense. And so Paul basically says to Sheila, hey, it's about time you tell your brother that we're married. So the pressure's on Sheila to figure out how to manage her marriage, also her affair, and the fact that she murdered Annalisa. Sheila felt that Paul was really the only thing standing in her way when it came to having this happy life with Nelson. She'd already gotten rid of Annalisa. Now all she had to do was get rid of Paul too. And instead of getting a divorce, which she'd already been through before uh, with her first husband, Sheila's wheels start turning And she begins to plan to murder her husband, Paul. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. On March 22nd, 2003, she carries out her plan. She tells Paul she wants to play a quote-unquote bedroom game to spice up the relationship. And so Sheila suggests this game where one person's blindfolded while the other person uses various objects to touch them, and they have to guess what it is. So Sheila puts on the blindfold first, and then it was Paul's turn. So he blindfolds himself, he lays on the floor, and he has his hands handcuffed to a chair. So Sheila takes various objects and touches him. One was like a remote control, and he guesses what they are. Then Sheila says she has to go to the kitchen to get one last thing. So she returns with a knife and touches it to Paul's face. He guessed it was a candle, because whose first guess is my wife is holding a knife to my face. And so with... Yeah, without warning, Sheila takes the knife and drives it into Paul's chest twice. She said, quote, oh my God, I think I hurt you. You're bleeding, end quote. Oh my gosh, I can't. I can't. Imagine I think I hurt you. unfolding. You're not the one that's blindfolded. How are you screwing this up? That's crazy. And so Paul, who is handcuffed and blindfolded, has no idea what's happened to him. He said he felt like a heavy weight was just thrown onto his chest. And so... Sheila, he's asking, you know, help get me out, get me out of these handcuffs. Sheila's like, oh, sorry, sorry, darn it, can't find the handcuffs. And so Paul's like, break this chair and let me get free. So they end up breaking the chair to get him free off of that. And that's when he realizes he's really badly hurt. And so he starts begging Sheila to call 911. Sheila says, okay, and says she calls 911, but she never did. When there's no ambulance that arrives, 
Paul asks her to please, please call again and says, you know, let me speak to the operator myself. Sheila says, no, the operator does not want to talk to you and said the operator just wanted him to lay on the floor. In reality, she's never called anyone. She is lying to this man and he's begging for help. And so Sheila leaves Paul laying on the floor in the bedroom. And that's when Sheila goes and calls Nelson to invite him over for dinner that very night. Oh my gosh, this is wild. <laughs> Reading this, I was like, how? Like, I, I just, it, it just keeps getting crazier. And we're going to be back for more after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. We all have our guilty pleasures, whether or not you got the Peacock Network just to watch The Office for the 11th time. But do you know what I have absolutely no guilt about? Playing Best Fiends. Best Fiends is my favorite way to have a little fun without any of the guilt, because Best Fiends isn't a time suck that I have to dedicate hours to. In fact, I can pick up my phone a few minutes here and there, change up my fiends, and tackle another level, giving me instant fun. While I don't find myself with hours of free time, I do find that at different times throughout the day, I'm wishing I had something quick and fun to do just to kill a little time. And that's where Best Fiends comes in handy for me. Whether I'm waiting for water to boil or for my coffee to brew, I can pull out my phone and have access to instant fun right at my fingertips thanks to Best Fiends. It's easy to see why Best Fiends has over five stars and 100 million downloads. It's just that fun. The further I get in the game, the more I want to play just one more level. And because Best Fiends is always updating with more levels, events, and challenges, including tons of cute characters to collect, I can. After 1,200 levels, I enjoy playing even more now than I did in the beginning. Best Fiends is the ultimate boredom buster and the first casual mobile puzzle game that stayed on my phone for over a year. Just don't blame us if you become slightly obsessed. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Life is full of surprises. One minute things are going great and the next you feel like things are out of control. Your mind is all over the place and you're struggling to find balance and peace. Or maybe you have critical or urgent things going on in your life that you need to discuss with someone and have just the opportunity to let it all out. BetterHelp Online Counseling may be the solution you've been looking for. I signed up for BetterHelp a few months ago, and when I signed up, I took a short quiz to figure out what I was looking for in a counselor and was matched right away to a therapist who I really enjoy talking to. My counselor is helping me work through some things I've actively been trying to avoid. I love that I have the option to speak with her by video chat or phone calls. I personally prefer phone calls so I can look like a hot mess while we talk. Plus, I can message her throughout the week to check in. She sent me articles to read and makes me feel like she's genuinely invested in the things I want to work on. Being able to speak to my counselor from my home and at times that I can make work is one of the best gifts I've been able to give to myself and honestly, my family. Everything you share with your counselor is confidential and BetterHelp can help match you with a counselor who is specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? 
Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. So before the break, things were really getting crazy in the story. Sheila has just stabbed her husband, Paul, and it's part of her plan to kind of get rid of him so that she can carry on this relationship with Nelson, who she feels is who her one true love is that's going to make her really happy. So after she has done this, she has stabbed Paul. He is not dead. He is in the bedroom laying there waiting for her to come back with help, you know, with emergency services or some kind of help to get him to the hospital, something. Right. But in the meantime, Sheila is not doing any of that. She is calling up her boyfriend, Nelson, and saying, hey, do you want to come over to my place for dinner tonight? Got to clean up some blood. While her husband has been stabbed and is in the other room. Yeah, and that's the other crazy thing. He is still in the house. He's, I just, I don't get any of it. I just don't get any of it. So meanwhile, as I said, Paul is struggling in the other room. And, you know, he's calling out to Sheila and he's like, please help me. He asked her to please go to a nearby walk-in clinic and see if there was any doctors there that she could, you know, gather up and come to their house to help. And she said, okay, I'll go. But she actually wasn't gone very long before she came back and said, I'm really sorry. Unfortunately, the clinic was closed. So this is when Paul, you know, finally says, cut the nonsense. Take me to the hospital. I'm bleeding. I am been stabbed. I need I need a doctor. So he convinced her to drive him to the hospital. And this was an hour after the stabbing. So Sheila reluctantly agrees to do this. She gets him in the car. He's still handcuffed while they're in the car. And she is driving painfully slow to the hospital. When she got there, she parked in the back of the hospital and got out of the car to go around to Paul's door so that she could help him get out. And, well, that's what he thinks she's going to do. He thinks that she's coming around to help him out of the car and take him into the emergency room. But, 
What he didn't expect was that she still had the knife that she attacked him with in her hand. And when she opened his car door, instead of helping him out, she actually lunged at him with the knife and stabbed him in the chest again in the parking lot at the hospital. My gosh. I just can't imagine what is going through her head at this point. I feel like there's been plenty of time to realize what's what you've done and to be like, I have already really screwed up here. Let's not continue assaulting somebody in the hospital parking lot. That's I can't imagine why she thought that was going to ever be a good idea or that that was going to work out for her. Right. So Paul managed to escape from the car and, you know, he starts running around the parking lot. He ran about 200 feet yelling for help, asking anybody, you know, to, to get somebody's attention. And somebody did notice him and dialed 911. And, you know, during all this chaos, Sheila is also running after Paul and she's saying, let me help you stay with me. Talk to me. You know, she's like, let me help you get into the hospital. And just acting like she is all of a sudden this loving, caring, you know, she's concerned that he needs to get medical attention. My gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So Paul was like, absolutely not. Stay away from me. I'm going into the hospital by myself. And when he got in there, you know, he says, my wife is outside going probably to the car to run away, but she's the one who did this and she tried to kill me. So the police were alerted immediately. And thankfully they were able to catch up with Sheila and find her. And she was pulled over and arrested, you know, while she was still in her car. She hadn't even gone very far from the parking lot at that point. So when the police ask her, you know, what's going on here? What happened to your husband? How did he get these stab wounds? Sheila says he came home from work and he already had these stab wounds. And I tried to call 911 for him, but he didn't listen or whatever the case was. She gave them some story that, of course, they didn't believe because that didn't even make any sense. No one just comes home from work with stab wounds. And they're like, huh, did you see that? Did you see your (laughs) stab wounds on your chest? I had no idea I had them. That's not a thing. Yeah. So um, so then she changed her story when when the police were like, yeah, that's not how this happened. Let's let's hear the real truth. Um, so then she changed the story to, well, we were playing this game in the bedroom, this adult game, and he accidentally moved on to the knife during this game, which, again, you don't accidentally move on to a butcher knife that goes deep into your chest. That's twice how things happen. Right. Exactly. So the police um, go back to the parking lot and they're kind of searching the area, trying to see if there's any evidence left behind from the parking lot ordeal. And they did find the bloody kitchen knife that was used to stab Paul. And they also found Sheila's cell phone, which she had dropped on the ground in her haste and, you know, trying to escape. So she was arrested, but she quickly posted bail and was released. Oh, my gosh. So police start investigating this entire thing that is just the crazy story I've ever heard. And they start off by going to Sheila and Paul's home and, you know, looking around, looking for evidence, that sort of thing. And while they're there, the strangest thing, Nelson shows up because oh my God. he's there for dinner. He's hungry. <laughs> so the police tell him Paul's actually in the hospital. And at this point, Nelson's got to be thinking, Paul, who? I don't know Paul. (laughs) This is my girlfriend's house. Who is Paul? And so Nelson has no idea that she's still, she's married, no idea any of this stuff. And he later reads this article about the stabbing and, you know, that his girlfriend was involved in. And so he reads this and then calls the police and he says, basically, you should look closer at Sheila. And he thinks she could actually be a suspect in Annalise's murder as well. He says, you know, basically, if she would stab her own husband to death, it's not crazy to think that she could have stabbed Annalisa. It's literally the same same thing that, you know, she used. Right. 
So that's whenever he finally tells police, by the way, that lady I was having an affair with, her name is Sheila Dablu, and you're already talking to her, and this is who we're talking about. And so now police feel like she has a motive. And so he provides all of his phone records and shows, you know, Sheila's calls and all of her messages to him. And so police review these phone records and, you know, Sheila's and notice that she never did call 911 after she accidentally stabbed Paul. But, of course, her phone records do show that she did call Nelson, and that's whenever she was inviting him over for dinner. So Nelson agrees to wear a wire for the police and to record all of the calls and conversations he has with Sheila. The police use this voice identification specialist to listen to the 911 call from the night of Annalise's murder. So it's, you know, Sheila's voice, and they determine by listening to Sheila's voice and then comparing it to this audio from the 911 call that they believed it was Sheila's voice. So police tested the blood found on the sink handle at Annalisa's. This was a match to Sheila. Finally, in 2004, Paul was able to have his divorce with Sheila finalized, but the story wasn't over for Sheila. With Annalisa's case now under further investigation, Sheila really has a lot to worry about. But before she could even get to that, she would have to stand trial in the attempted murder of her ex-husband, Paul. So this trial began in February of 2004, and it was held in New York, and it was a bench trial, so it was just the judge, no jury. The prosecution alleged that Sheila wanted to get rid of Paul to be with Nelson. Keep in mind, Paul doesn't know about Nelson. Nelson doesn't know about Paul. So they alleged that she purposely did not call for help because she wanted her husband to die. But the defense said that Sheila was, quote, emotionally troubled. She did not realize what she was doing, and there was no evidence that she intended to hurt her husband, end quote. Oh, my gosh. I feel like there was a little evidence. <laughs> Sometimes, honestly, like, I know it's their job, and defense attorneys are very important, you know, criminal defense attorneys. Yeah. Their job is really important and very, very hard. But, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just can't imagine going up there and saying something like that. Like, you. I it just, would be hard, but I mean, obviously there's got to be something, there's something that they see there that they can use, but I feel like she makes it very, very, very difficult for <laughs> for them. Yeah. And so for Sheila's part, she says, quote, it was a bizarre set of situations that happened that day. I felt a lot of pain and tension and I grabbed the knife and I stabbed him. It was very bizarre. It's nothing I've ever done before. I don't really honestly even remember doing it, end quote. I think it's very interesting that she says, it's nothing I've ever done before. Basically like, yes. hey, next trial. I've already said I've never right. done this. It was weird. So she says, though, that she has PTSD from growing up in Iran, and she blamed the stabbing that night on the PTSD that she was suffering from. She also said, quote, it was an exaggerated reaction to that moment's pain that I felt, end quote. One of my favorite parts of her list of excuses is that she claimed that she didn't call 911 that night because she was just hoping it would all go well. You know that thing. Oh my gosh. You know with like when my son's eyebrow bust open and I'm like, you yes. know what? We're not going to go to the hospital. We're just going to hope for the best in this one. What? That's right. not a thing you do. That's crazy. But she said basically she hoped you'd be okay and the police and the hospital didn't get involved. So that kind of actually did make a little more sense. And she was like, well, I don't need witnesses to this. But of course, the jury doesn't buy any of this because it's bananas. On February 19th, 2004, Sheila is found guilty of attempted murder, first degree assault, and criminal possession of a weapon. And she was sentenced to 25 years. In an interesting twist, Paul actually asked for a lenient sentence 
from the judge and said she was, quote, a kind of woman who helped people in need. End quote. Oh, unless, wow, how nice. <laughs> unless the need was calling 911. And the judge was basically like, yeah, but no, she tried to definitely kill you and we're not doing that. Yeah, the judge was like, her intention was for you to be in a body bag. So like there's... No, there's no lenient, you know, like how nice of you. Very noble. For Very you noble of you. But lenient on her behalf. Would, but yeah, no. <laughs> it wasn't until 2012 that Sheila went to trial for the first degree murder of Annalisa. And in this trial, she actually represented herself, which always is like a big yikes, yikes, yikes for me when somebody with no legal background decides to represent yeah. themselves in a very, very serious trial such as murder. Right. That's not the one you want to go to court being like, I know everything that's best in this situation right. because you don't. You know, you don't have a clue how to fight your case in court if you are not an attorney. So that is very... Oof, yeah, so she represented herself. The three key pieces of evidence that they had against her were the 911 call from the payphone, which, as we said, they had already determined the voice matched and it was hers. Right. They also had the drop of her blood on the handle in the bathroom and her lack of an alibi. She was gone from work that day and they couldn't prove that she had done anything other than go to Annalise's apartment. So Sheila, as we said, representing herself with no legal background, said that the 911 tape was very weak evidence. And her rationale behind that was, she said, quote, whoever knows me, including my husband at the time and friends, they have said that it does not even sound like me, end quote. So, yeah, that's very scientific evidence for the court. <laughs> and I'm sure that you weren't like trying to make your voice sound any different on the call where you basically called in a murder. I'm sure that was nothing to do with it. Right. So she then alleged that the blood they found at the crime scene was there from cross-contamination, which again, I don't know how that would happen. How would her blood get to Annalise's apartment at all? That still doesn't make any sense. How would they get it cross-contaminated in that way? Because she allegedly had nothing to do with it. So I don't know how I, that didn't make any sense. I heard her say basically they sent that stuff to the lab, like the blood from the bathroom to the lab, but then it got sent back to the lab. And that was whenever she basically was like, oh, there could be something else because why was that sent twice and nothing else was sent twice? And this is the only thing you found my blood on. So I think she was mm. almost trying to claim more like something shady. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. Right. Yeah. So she said that, you know, she did take a long lunch that day, but the apartment where Annalisa was killed was in Connecticut. And she said that she had cell phone records that proved that she was in the state of New York the entire day, which it's not that hard to leave your cell phone in New York and go do something terrible in Connecticut and then say, oh, look, my cell phone was here the whole time. Like, right. I feel like that still isn't very solid proof that you didn't do anything, no. you know. So Paul also took the stand in Sheila's trial. He talked about how looking back on the time frame around when Annalisa was killed, that Sheila had this nasty cut on her hand. And when he asked her about it at the time, she said that it was from cutting her hand when she was opening a can of dog food. They had two dogs. And so this wasn't very strange. I've cut my hand on cans all the time. So it definitely is a possible thing that could happen. Yeah. So he didn't think anything of it and definitely didn't think that she was involved in anything um, as horrific as this murder. So he also told the court all about Sheila's elaborate tales about her alleged co-workers, Melissa, Jack, and Annalisa, and said that, you know, Sheila asked him if he knew anything about fingerprints or DNA, which 
again, isn't strange in a one-off conversation right. until you start putting it together. Like, okay, well, that's probably why she was asking me these things. Right. So Paul said that Sheila was never violent. She was not a violent person prior to the stabbing. I kind of felt bad for him in a way because he kind of seemed like he was taking responsibility for what Sheila did and making it kind of his fault because he was saying that he thought she was depressed and it was, you know, it was his fault that he missed the signs of that. And, you know, that's why she did what she did. So after Annalisa was killed, Paul said Sheila had trouble sleeping and she couldn't do common tasks around the house. She was having a, she was very forgetful, had a hard time remembering to do simple things like paying their bills. And, you know, her behavior around the time after Annalisa was murdered, he said he, you know, looking back can tell that she did, there were changes in her, in her behavior after that. So Sheila cross-examined Paul, which I, I just can't imagine any of this. She's representing herself in court. Now she's acting as a lawyer to herself and cross-examining her ex-husband. Yeah. It's just It sounds like something out of a sitcom. Like, it just doesn't sound like reality. Right. So she started asking him about the scars on his chest, and then she started getting really upset and broken up, and she couldn't finish this line of questioning. So the judge called for an early lunch, and when they came back, Sheila was composed and ready to continue on with the trial. Her friends, Emilio and Tammy, also got on stand and testified that on December 8th, 2002, they had dinner with Sheila. And Sheila allegedly asked if they, quote, have everybody's DNA on file. Like she was asking if the police or whoever just automatically has everyone's DNA on file, which they do not. Um, but she was asking her friends this, which is a weird thing to ask your friends. Cause like, why would you need to know that? Can you imagine like picking a pepperoni off your pizza and hearing somebody say that to you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know Sorry, you'd be what? like, Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, Tammy testified that in early 2003, Sheila was still talking about Jack and Melissa, but at this point she hadn't mentioned Annalisa in a while. And so when Tammy asked Sheila about it, Sheila said, no, Annalisa moved away, got a new job. Now Jack and Melissa are a happy couple. Things are harmonious around the office. Everything's great. So she kind of had her out, you know, from that story from her friends in that way. So the jury in this case took their time deliberating, which I was a little surprised about because I feel like there was plenty of evidence, but it actually took them a day and a half to deliberate. I, and I think it, they were just gossiping. Like, can you believe what right? we just Trying heard? Trying to figure out all of this. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, so when they returned, they did come back with a guilty verdict and she was convicted of the murder of Annalisa. She was sentenced on April 27th, 2012, and she received 50 years in prison which was a decision that she appealed based on several grounds, including marital communications privilege, which again, there's so much gray area and weirdness in this yeah. whole thing with, you know, with her being her own attorney and all that. I just don't even know that she said that Paul shouldn't have been allowed to testify about any of their conversations. A Supreme court actually ruled against her said, no, we're not giving you an appeal based on that. So her appeal was denied. She is currently incarcerated in Bedford Hills correctional facility for women in New York And her earliest possible release for her first conviction, which was the attempted murder, the earliest possible release is in July of 2025. But then she will have to go straight to Connecticut to serve her time for the murder of Annalisa. She actually has a LinkedIn profile that's active. She says her current job is assistant ministerial services and says that she has been doing that since 2016. Yeah. I went on her LinkedIn. I hope she can't track that I was on it, but she, it, <laughs> I looked to see like, cause people had not upvoted. That's Reddit. What's the thing where you basically validate somebody's 
stuff on verified on thank you yeah like or it's something basically like yeah that person's good at that then I googled that guy's name and her name because I was like there has to be a connection but there wasn't any but I was like sir would you like to take back those recommendations <laughs> what are you doing here buddy what a crazy story did you have any knowledge of this story prior to the past week or so I did not and I was really fascinated by it when I heard it and it kind of has a little bit of the I don't know. This one kind of had a little bit of old school moms and murder feel where it was like there was just a lot of bananas parts of the story. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoyed researching this one just because the whole time you're just like, what? Oh, my gosh. No way. There's no way this is real. And then it is real. So so yeah, I, yeah, I had a, I had a good time putting this one together and definitely a crazy story, a crazy case. And I'm so glad that Paul survived and was able to yeah. go to court and testify, even though he seemed like he had some kind of guilt about what he did or didn't do in the situation. But yeah, thankfully he survived. It's terribly tragic and sad for Annalisa, who really had no idea that this woman was even to that level obsessed with her relationship with Nelson and just awful, awful for that. But yeah, what a crazy story. This one was really weird. It is. And yeah, there's, you couldn't make this story up. Like if, if somebody wrote this story out and even pitched it to Netflix, Netflix would be like, you know what? You're going to need to take a little of that, take it down and then let's see what we can do with it. Lifetime might like give it a go, but, but (laughs) there's just so many different aspects of it from the brother side of it, which I already told Mandy, that part upsets me like to use your brother in that way. And you know, all of that to have this affair in front of your husband, but behind your husband's back. It's just too much. There's there's just endlessly too much going on in this story that it's just hard to believe. And not surprising that it all fell apart because you cannot keep that level right. of – You can't keep up that level of fake like charade of oh like my something gosh. that's not real. It's it's No. My it's real name is Melissa, and sometimes I forget that. Right. I can't imagine <laughs> telling a story <laughs> and being pretend I know. Melissa. Oh, my gosh. I know. Or it makes me wonder how many times she like slipped up and and said I or me or something instead of saying Melissa. I guess she didn't because her husband didn't catch on to the story. But I think he zoned out like it would be so hard. Can you imagine? Yeah, he probably did. You hear that story so many times. You're like, yes, yes. Tell her. No, I don't care. Yes, yes. Right. (laughs) No way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, Melissa. Well, let's turn the page and move on to our last thing before we go for this week. This one is going to be hopefully fun because we are picking on ourselves a little bit here. By ourselves, I don't mean us, you and me. I mean us. Yeah. I mean us as a country. We are picking on Americans this week. We've done a few last thing before we goes where we've shared different phrases and sayings from other countries that we thought were funny and interesting because we have, you know, we don't hear them here. So we this week looked up some American phrases that people from other places are like, what in the world is that? And it's stuff that I'm sure all of us have heard many, many times and don't even think twice about, you know, the fact that we know these phrases and stuff, but they are kind of weird. So Melissa has a few and I have a few and we're just going to talk about them. Yeah. So do you want to kick it off, Mandy? Okay. So I will definitely kick it off. Okay. So the first one is when somebody from the United States says that they are riding shotgun. So imagine being from somewhere else. Yeah. (laughs) Someone is like, I got shotgun or I'm riding shotgun. they're, (laughs) They're probably like, what on earth is that? So yeah. So of course it doesn't have anything to do with guns. Um, it just means that you're riding in the front passenger seat of someone's car. 
They think this phrase first came out in 1919, and it was written in a newspaper from Utah, and that it was inspired by Hollywood Westerns that often showed armed guards, usually holding a shotgun in those days, of course, and they would be sitting right next to the driver of a stagecoach. So that's how the phrase riding shotgun came to be. Yeah, that would be a terrifying phrase to hear for the first time. Yes, (laughs) I can imagine it. Okay, so my first one is jumping the shark. If you say that something's jumped the shark, you're basically meaning it's declined really, really quickly. It's kind of over for that. And the origination of that is if you are a Happy Days fan, back when that show was on, the Fonz actually during the show was, I think, water skiing and water skied and jumped over an actual shark. And that's when they decided the show had gone too far. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So it literally meant jumping the shark. And now we just say, oh, that jumped the shark. And that's that's where it comes from. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah. No, I love it. I love it. All right. What you got? So, yeah. So I like that one, jumping the shark. This one kind of goes a little, I guess, kind of hand in hand. But another one that is confusing to people who are not from the United States, apparently, is the phrase, it's all downhill from here. Now, I was reading on um, this source that I'm reading, which is was not it Reddit? Even really a source. Was it Reddit? It's daytranslations.com. <laughs> so I don't think it's a very reliable source. But so I didn't know. Melissa, when someone says it's all downhill, do you think that the, that means the situation is getting better or getting worse? Wait, first of all, I think there's like a punk rock, not punk rock, you know, like the cheesy 2000s rock called It's All Downhill From Here. And I can't remember who sings it. So that's what first comes to my mind. But downhill, it makes it sound like it's a mess, but I think it's actually like so much easier from here. Right? That is what it means. And for some reason, I have been using that phrase wrong my entire life. And I just found out today that that is not what it means. I always, I don't know why. I feel like whenever you, whenever I have said it, and now I sound like an idiot. because No, no, I've, I've done both ways. I've done both ways. Yeah, but I've always thought when you're like, oh, it's all downhill from here. Obviously, now that I think about it, it makes sense that it means things will be improving from here. It'll be easier from here. But for some reason, I've always thought of it to mean this is going to be terrible from this point on. But that's not what it even means. But have you seen Tommy Boy? He fell all the way down the mountain, all downhill. It was terrible (laughs) for him. Yeah. So if I am confused by it and I am from the United States, I cannot imagine how confusing that is for people who are not from the United States when we say it's all downhill from here. Yeah. No, I'm wondering now which way I, I think I use it the same way you do. I think I've, I know that it means like it's getting easier, but I feel like I say like, oh, it's all downhill from here. I say that about my life every day. <laughs> so there's well, no way I think it's getting, it's getting easier, easier every day. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not true. Okay, and this one isn't as funny, but I just, I never put this together. I thought this one was kind of cool. So if you say, you know, you're not sure how much something is or how many of something is there is, you could say, um, what's the, what's your ballpark, ballpark figure? Like, what's your estimation really? And so that actually came from baseball, which makes sense. And basically, whenever a batter hit the ball outside of the baseball diamond, They weren't sure how far it traveled out of bounds. So they would say, you know, what's the ballpark figure? And that's where it came from. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Those are fun. I know we have tons of weird English phrases and sayings. So we might have to revisit this topic in Last Thing Before We Go and find some other ones that are interesting. I found several it was really hard to just pick a couple it was. for this week because there are so many things that we say here in the U.S. that make absolutely no sense. So, Caddy Wampus is one that I saw and I was like, I don't even know how to explain that. 
Like if you just say something's cattywampus, I'm like, I know what that means, but can I explain oh it to gosh, you? Oh my gosh, that reminds that a weird me. One? I used to know, yeah, I used to have a um, a group of friends who formed a band and they became really popular locally to the area that I was living in at the time. And their band name was Kinky Catawampus. And I never understood like what on earth that oh. meant, like what the significance of that was. But whenever you just said that, it reminded me of them. And I, I mean, I have some guesses oh. now, but I'm not going to share yeah. them here. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would have to know the definition of Catawampus first. Oh, gosh. I hope I it's not so. anything bad. I say it all the time. I think I've even heard my son say it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> No, that's these are great. And then if you have any uh, fun phrases that you'd like us to share, please send them to us. You can send them to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our email address, momsandmurder at gmail.com. I love learning these things. And I love hearing the origins of them because you take them, not take them for granted, but you say them so much, you there's no like background to them. Like I've said, jump, I sh- jumped a shark my whole life. And only in the last few years did I know what that meant. So it's fun. Well, Melissa, it has been great shooting the breeze with you. Thanks, Mandy. I'm glad we... <laughs> Mandy, I'm madder than a wet hen. Let's get out of here. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.